This is Dr. Carissa Hines of Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. Information without understanding is not very helpful. Talk with the doctor and feel like you're talking to a friend. Good morning, good morning, good morning, Atlanta. This is Dr. Carissa Hines, and you are listening to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. We are here every Thursday at 11 a.m. talking about your health. Today is a very exciting day because we are starting a new segment um, here on Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa in that um, we will be talking about money and medicine. Everybody loves money or loves talking about money. Um, But one of the things that we um, don't talk about is about the financial impacts um, of medicine. Um, We can talk about this from a lot of different ways. Um, But this week I am partnering with Mr. Brian K. Ford, who will be joining us shortly um, from Northwestern Mutual. And we're going to talk about estate planning. So like I always do every Thursday, um, I'll give you all a little bit of background because, of course, um, you know, I want you all to be able to follow the flow um, of the show. But first, let's talk about how you listen to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. Um, Of course, we are broadcasting live on Real 1100 AM every Thursday at 11 AM. You can also listen um, on the Internet by streaming at www.real1100.com. And we also are streaming live via Facebook. Um, we are on the Real 1100 AM page, as well as um, posting on the Facebook page for the show, Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. So now, getting back to today's topic, what we are discussing today is um, money, something that is very, very important, uh, an incredible tool um, that we have. Uh, to use or an incredible tool when we misuse it, um, however we choose to look at that. Now, what is money? So money is a a medium of exchange. It is a store of value uh, and a unit of account. Um, And so most of us know it uh, from the first and last things that I mentioned there when we talk about a medium of exchange because we exchange money for goods and services. Um, And that includes health care, because if any of us have participated in the health care system at all, um, at some point you've received a bill. Um, And also when we talk about a unit of account, we all check our accounts, particularly on payday, to make sure that that check is in the correct amount and it is deposited on time and in time. Um, And so, you know, we could talk about money um, all day. And one of the things when I was researching the topic um, for today's intro is um, how many times money is mentioned um, in in what we do um, and, and in our religious texts even. So money is mentioned in the Bible about 800 times, which is a lot. Um, hopefully it, Jesus is mentioned more times. Um, it is also mentioned in the Quran uh, and in Hinduism, it is one of the four aims of life uh, when we talk about or when they talk about gaining wealth by honest means. It is also mentioned in the Torah, which is the text for the holy text for Judaism. Um, So like I said, money in general allows us to acquire goods and services um, as a medium of exchange. Um, It is a necessary uh, function uh, of society because, again, we all have bills, right? Um, And no one lives for free. Um, Our children do for for a little bit of of a minute. But then once we become an adult, um, you know, those bills are there. So, um, you know, we are as a society um, very um, and to varying degrees preoccupied with money. Right. Um, We spend a good portion of our time in pursuit of it. Um, because all of us have jobs and for various periods of time we are there and we go to work. Um, some of us love our jobs, but most of us go because we need to earn a paycheck, right? Um, and so we spend time in pursuit of money in terms of ways to earn it, ways to keep it, 
ways to spend it. Um, you know, a lot of our actions, even when we aren't um, consciously thinking about money, a lot of our actions um, are, are revolving around it. Unfortunately, um, we misuse money. Um, when we think about it or when we talk about it as a tool, um, we misuse money. And I think a lot of that, and I'll speak for myself, um, a lot of that misuse has come from um, a lack of education about money as a tool. Um, and I will tell you that until I became an adult, I didn't really view money as a tool. Um, you know, I just was like, you know, this is something to go to the mall. I want to go shopping. Um, you know, I was all about the exchange part. Um of, of money um, and, and, and not using it as a tool uh, towards building wealth. Um, so getting back to um, money in healthcare, um, and what we see is that we spend um, quite a bit of money in healthcare. And I am not talking about um, doctor's salaries or nurses' salaries, although, um, you know, that is um, from time to time a topic um, of interest uh, there. Um, so in 2018, in the United States of America, um, we spent about $3.6 trillion, with a T, dollars in, on health care. That is larger than many economies of whole countries that we spent on just on health care. And when we say health care, we mean in terms of the purchasing of insurance, um, using it for pharmacy purposes, using it for hospital bills, um, you know, all of that all in together, you know, if we have physical therapy, whatever we are, are however we are participating in the healthcare system, all of that collectively um, in 2018, $3.6 trillion. That comes out to be about $11,000 per person every year. Now, of course, some people are, um, utilizing more money within the healthcare system because for example if you are um, if you are ill if you're in the hospital then of course you know more than likely your bill is going to be more um, than eleven thousand um, dollars or you know or if you are just someone who is relatively healthy um, you are just um, going to, for your preventative services, then you are not using as much um, of those health care dollars in that particular year. Um, but you never know which way the wind will blow, right? So you can be fine this year and the next year have health challenges. And so, um, you know, then you will utilize um, your part of that $3.6 trillion a little bit differently. So when we talk about who is using um, health care dollars in the United States, um, more than the majority, the vast majority, I'll say, um, so about 56 percent um, of all health care spending, and this was looking at 2016, um, was utilized by persons greater than 55 years of age. Um, and so a lot of the times when we talk about health care, um, we do in the United States use, um, utilize our health care dollars more so um, towards the, the great majority, I'll say, towards the end of life, um, as opposed to when we are younger and healthy, um, unless there are some, you know, there are some exceptions, of course, um, to that. So um, in talking about hospitalizations, um, in 2018, there were 36,354 hospitalizations, okay? Um, and so, leading us to, um, more marching us towards our topic for today when we talk about estate planning, um, we have to talk about morbidity and mortality. So, in the medical community, when we talk about mor morbidity, that means illness, um, for us, right? Um, and so, you know, illness can have a significant impact um, on an individual and a family in terms of their finances. Uh, so I was watching, um, watching a, a news program last night, and there is a family um, who 
one member of the family went out um, and was very social and such things and came back and infected the entire household with COVID. Um, one, um, the father, um, was affected most severely um, out of all of these family members. Um, and this gentleman has spent, um, I believe, about a month in the hospital, um, three weeks of that in the ICU um, on a ventilator and such things. And thank God he is recovering. But his wife mentioned that their hospital bills, they were looking at uh, $500,000 in healthcare costs. So if you can imagine um, the impact that this has had on this family in terms of their finances. So let's look at this um, in its totality. So right now we are experiencing a, a pandemic. Um, and so um, drilling that down to us individually in the United States, quite a few people are out of work. Um, and if you are self-employed, um, you may or may not have health coverage. Um, and so you have someone who is sick. So that means that someone else in the household may have to uh, stop working or work less in order to be the caretaker uh, for the ill person and also to keep things going on in the house. So they may not be able to work as much. And so now here you you sit with this half a million dollar hospital bill on top of the bills of your everyday living. And it's easy to understand how healthcare costs can be completely financially devastating um, to a family, right? Because I don't know about you all, but I don't have half a million dollars just sitting around um, waiting to be utilized for, for, you know, in the eventuality that I get sick. And that is, you know, just that scenario um, in and of itself is one of the reasons why I am tremendously excited about this segment, which will be monthly, um, so that we can talk about um, how finances and health care, how those things work together, things that you should know about, things that you should plan for as best as you can. Um, so that way, when the unexpected happens, um, because again, it's unexpected, so you don't know, it may happen to you, it may not, um, or it may not happen until some years later, you have some tools, you have a plan in place so that you can try and recover um, or at least maintain from a financial standpoint um, and in talking about, um, you know, preserving your life and your lifestyle while someone who may be the wage earner um, is, um, is, you know, is, is ill. Um, and so when we talk about um, morbidity, um, we talk about, you know, what, what is our plan for that, right? Um, because a lot of us think about what would happen if we were to die. Okay, so we may have wills and, and all of that stuff, um, but not everyone that gets ill dies as a result of that illness right at the time of that illness. Right. Um, and so a lot of us are not prepared for the morbidity piece um, of life, that if we have a major illness, um, you know, what happens to me financially? How does my household continue to go on? How do I support my family? How do I pay my bills when I am unable to work? So, you know, of course, the will will cover will cover stuff um, for you in the event of your of your death. But again, you know, what if you get sick and you don't die? Right. So that is what we will be um, talking with Mr. Brian Ford today um, about when we talk about estate planning. So um, just to give you um, just a, a last little bit when we talk about mortality. So morbidity is illness. Mortality is death. And so in 2017, there were 2.8 million deaths in the United States. And uh, the top 10, I'll break those down, how those numbers um, come together. So the number one um, cause of death in the United States um, is heart disease that has been at the top of the list for years and years and years and years. Um, and, you know, of course, of that $3.6 trillion, we spend an incredible amount of money um, towards um, heart issues um, with that. So 
650,000 people in 2017 died as a result of heart disease. <clears throat> Excuse me. 600,000 uh, died as a result of cancer, and this is all cancers. Um, and, you know, later on, um, if we talk about another show, if we talk about cancer, we can talk about how those things, um, how those cancers get broken down, those numbers. Um, 170,000 died as a result of accidents. Um, 160,000 as a result of chronic lung diseases, 150,000 as a result of stroke, 121,000 as a result of complications uh, surrounding Alzheimer's disease, 83,000 uh, surrounding uh, diabetes and the complications that come with that, 56,000 as a result of influenza and pneumonia. And I'm going to pause on that one um, because, of course, as we are in this pandemic, um, you know, just just to have a little um, little sidebar, um, as my cousin calls it, um, when we talk about influenza, you know, with this um, pandemic that we are experiencing, um, that a lot of people will talk about, oh, it's just a little flu, you know, it's the same as the flu. And so, you know, just from these numbers, um, in 2017, 56,000 people died from influenza. And as we sit here in these three or four months that we've been experiencing this pandemic um, of, co of COVID-19 or coronavirus, 140,000 people have lost their lives as a result. So, you know, I will just take a little minute just to tell you, uh, you know, please continue to take uh, coronavirus, COVID-19 very, very seriously. This is different from flu. This is worse than flu. So now I'm going to step off of that that soapbox and continue on because that was the number eight uh, leading cause of mortality. Number nine is kidney disease at 51,000 deaths, and lastly, um, and sadly, suicide or uh, self self inflicted uh, harm uh, deprived us of 47,000 people uh, in 2017. So, with that said, um, we are almost ready. Um, to talk to our guest. Uh, so we are going to go ahead and go to commercial. And when we come back, we will have Mr. Brian Ford of Northwestern Mutual talking with us about estate planning. We'll see you back on the other end of the break. This is Dr. Carissa. You're listening to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. This is fashion designer Edmund Newton. I'd like to tell you about Enmask.com. Enmask.com is my only source for non-surgical cloth masks. I've teamed up with Enmask.com to create and design a collection of limited edition masks. These masks are washable, reusable, breathable, and most importantly, fashionable. Shop online now at Enmask.com. That's E-N-M-A-S-K-S.com for quality masks made in America. Rejuvenation for youthfulness and beauty is trending worldwide. People are getting laser hair removal, Botox, dermal fillers, skin brightening, tightening, lifting, and reshaping. SmartPlex ATL, a comprehensive medical spa located in East Cobb, 4799 Old Town Parkway. You can also visit us online at SmartPlexATL.com. Dr. Alexander and his team enjoy pampering you while you receive customized treatments in a beautiful, calming, zen-like atmosphere. SmartPlex ATL, we are your Hollywood destination for exciting, youthful rejuvenation. Hey folks, just a quick reminder that no matter the time of the day and no matter what day of the week, East Coast, West Coast, all points in between, we are always on. So go to your app store and download the Real 1100 app and listen wherever and whenever. The Real, Real, Real. Money, 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 money. 
All righty. Good morning. This is Dr. Carissa, and you are listening to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. I love that song by the Mighty Mighty OJs uh, talking about for the love of money. And so that brings me to my my guest today. Um, So today, um, as I said earlier, we're starting a monthly segment where we talk about different uh, topics of money and medicine. And so in a few minutes, I'm going to introduce him, but Mr. Ford will be uh, joining us. But let me tell you a little bit about him. Uh, Mr. Brian K. Ford is originally from Hammond, Indiana. He has a Bachelor's of Science in Mechanical Engineering from Purdue University. Uh, He has been with Northwestern Mutual for about five years, um, has participated in many speaking engagements, um, mostly um, talking about uh, empowerment and wealth building um, there. And that is actually how I met uh, Mr. Ford uh, at a at an event um, where we were talking about wealth building uh, for for physicians, um, because, you know, we make money, but of course we need to learn how to make our money work for us because we work for our money, uh, but a lot of us don't know how to make our money work for us. Now, Mr. Ford and his team have built a national practice across several industries, helping physicians, dentists, business owners, and athletes implement healthy habits and rituals with money. He has been recognized locally in Metro Atlanta as one of the top advisors under the age of 40 and recognized nationally as one of the top advisors in his firm. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me to give a warm welcome to our new contributor, Mr. Brian K. Ford of Northwestern Mutual. Hello, hello. Hello, how are you doing? How are you? I am great. How are you? Great. I'm over here still dancing from the music. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was like, oh, I get to play that song. I love that's one of my favorite songs. That's a jam right there. Yeah. All righty. So, Mr. Ford, welcome, welcome to the show. This is our first first of many. And um, let me just say thank you and thank you to Northwestern Mutual uh, for... um, sponsoring this segment for us. I think it's going to be very, very educational, and I've gotten several questions, um, you know, about the issue. But I'm going to let you let you start because this is your segment. So sure. you're talking about estate planning today. So, you know, what? let me just, before I do that, let me just give you, I guess, a lead-in question because someone asked me, what is estate planning? Sure. So estate planning, in a nutshell, is having a very well thought out and articulated plan for your eventual demise and you leaving this earth. Um, You know, just one of the facts of life that none of us escape out of this world alive. Most certainly. And so from my vantage point, I kind of look at that in the lens of the sooner that you embrace that as reality, the better off you are, and you may as well just go ahead and start planning for it sooner than later. Certainly. And piggyback with that is, unfortunately, none of us know when that day is. And so, ideally, you kind of just delay and, you know, get all your estate planning completed the day before you took your last breath. But but none of us know when that day is. And so, you know, the next best option is just to do it, you know, while you're alive today, sooner than later type of thing. Certainly. Mm-hmm. So now a lot of the times I know that people think that estate planning, because when we say estate, that kind of gives some inferences that, you know, this is for rich people. Got it. Right. Yeah. And it's a very, very common misnomer. Um, I, I've you know, had many conversations around this stuff. And one of my, my attorney friends, the, the way they joke around it, she's like, Brian, if you own one leg of a stool, you should have an estate plan. Like, if you don't own anything else, and the only thing you own is a stool because that's your property, and you need to have a clearly defined plan for what happens to that leg when you're no longer here anymore. Mm-hmm. So now, what pieces go into estate planning? Um, because, you know, like I said, a lot of people will have or may not even think about having a will because, of course, you know, let's face it, even though all of us will one day leave this earth, it is not the most pleasant thought. 
Um, and I think that that is a lot of reason why, you know, for me as a physician, when I try to have these conversations with patients, it's somewhat uncomfortable because no one likes to think about this. So if you don't like to think about it, you most certainly don't want to plan for it. So what kinds of things should go into an estate plan? Um, so you hit it on the head was, of course, you know, that making sure that you have a will is definitely one of the necessary components. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on top of that, having health care proxy, power of attorney, uh, making sure the beneficiaries on your investment accounts are clearly defined so you know exactly, you know, who's getting what. Mm-hmm. Uh, also making sure your life insurance policies are structured the right way, they're enforced, making sure the beneficiaries on those also are clearly defined the right way. So you, so it sounds like you were saying that we can have two different things. So of course, you know, most people know about the life insurance piece, right, mm-hmm. um, where, you know, you will have... X amount of dollars that are given to your beneficiaries or the people that you leave behind. Um, but there was another piece that you mentioned there. Um, yeah, the, the investment accounts. You, you also right. want to make sure that the beneficiaries are right on those as well. And really, a lot of it is just to minimize, you know, unnecessary exposure of parts of your estate going through probate. Um, and the, the other thing I forgot to mention that, you know, with this day and age and technology is the importance of having a, you know, clear place of your digital footprint. Mm-hmm. So we have all these accounts online and logins and passwords. Mm-hmm. And it, you would come into a, come into a place to where you're so compromised and you can't remember any of that stuff. Or if you're no longer here anymore, does someone know exactly where to go to access all of that stuff? Indeed. Otherwise, it becomes very messy really fast. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, funerals and weddings will bring out the worst in people, unfortunately. Um, and so, yes, that is definitely one of those things. And when you mentioned, you know, the, the health care proxy and, and the power of attorney, um, one of our later shows um, will be with an attorney who specializes in, um, in helping families to set up um, those types of, of agreements. Um, and so, you know, it is very important um, to let someone know. I think that that is the thing that I can't stress enough is to let someone know where you keep your papers Um, or where you keep your passwords Um, because in the event at the time of of the person's passing um, of course emotions will be running high and you know the thought of taking care of business while you're also grieving um, can be overwhelming and particularly if you don't know um, you know if this person had life insurance or where is the policy you know that delays quite a few things um, in terms of, you know, the final arrangements um, for that person. Um, so now let me ask you, because I know you and I have had conversations, and, and I'll share just for transparency, that I engage Mr. Ford's services um, myself um, and am getting my financial house in order, if it, as it were. Um, and in many conversations that Mr. Ford and I have had, um, we have talked about some of the crazy things um, that we have seen um, as a result. So now let me ask you this. Would you recommend, because of course we want people um, to tell someone where where their paper, where they keep their important papers and so they can have access to those things. Um, do you recommend sharing what's in those papers beforehand? Uh, <laughs> I'm laughing because the, the short answer is it, it, it depends. Okay. Um, re- really, you want, you know, most commonly you want to have at least one individual within those papers that you do tr- fully trust and can be 100% transparent with mm-hmm. and that you know, you know, will not do anything shady or malicious, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times, the, the other thing I, I've seen is where you can lean on an attorney. Mm hmm. 
and let the, the attorney be the uh, intermediary area, if you will, to make sure that you essentially just detach the family from the whole process altogether. That is an excellent suggestion, just to bring in an uninterested party to mm. be the, the bearer of the news. Correct. Um, so that way, you know, because as I said, you know, I've seen um, when I worked in hospice, you know, just seeing what happens at the time of death and some people, you know, do take their focus to what they are, have been left um, and, you know, and I'm sitting there, you know, just looking at these people like I have apps. I'm not involved in any of this. I have no idea, you know, what you should do or how you should proceed from there. And it, and it does get messy, you know, and, you know, let's be honest. We know our people, you know, so, yeah. you know, it, it does it does happen. So now when we talk about um, updating a will, how often should we? Should we update or, or what things should trigger us to decide to make an update to our will? Sure. So typically, you know, major life-changing events. So the birth of a child, marriage, um, the unfortunate death of someone that is contained in your will, um, you know, the purchase or sale of real estate. Typically, that, that'll be something triggering because that'll be inside of your will. The mm-hmm. purchase or sale of a business. Um, are some of the, the things that are immediately coming to mind. Mm-hmm. So basically any major changes that you have to your life, because wouldn't that be um, messy if you um, had one child and you got a will, but then you had a second child and forgot to update your will, and then you pass away and only one of your children is mentioned um, in the will. Yeah. That could get just tremendously ugly and hurtful and, and, and all of those things. Mm-hmm. So now, when we talk about beneficiaries, um, how many beneficiaries can you have? Is is there a limit to how many people you can split your assets amongst when you when you pass away? Um, I mean, technically no. Okay. <laughs> but the, there's of course some practicality to that as well. Okay. And, you know, m- most commonly, you know, it's a spouse, uh, children, uh, grandparents. Um, your place of, you know, worship or your synagogue oftentimes can be listed as a beneficiary mm-hmm. um, or, you know, some other nonprofit organization or, you know, your alma mater school that you went to. Um, and then a lot of times, and this is this is where it would be paramount to working with, a, with an estate planning attorney is leveraging, you know, different types of trust instruments and making sure that you have the right trust in place if it necessitates one. Okay. So let's get into that. What What is a trust? Um, so it's really nothing more than a legal document. It's okay. just a piece of paper that's, mm-hmm. you know, giving clear guidance and instruction of what's happening with, with your assets. Okay. And so... Both of these things, a trust and a will, I imagine, work hand in hand, or does one supersede the other? How does that how does that work sure. together? So essentially, for, for example, if someone had a uh, a revocable uh, family trust, mm-hmm. and so upon your death, you know, all of your assets get rolled into the trust, and so the trust ultimately becomes the beneficiary. Okay. And a lot of times that's a, a fairly uh, common or, uh, solution for families who have minors as children. Mm-hmm. Because if you'd imagine you don't want to have, you know, an eight-year-old child to be the beneficiary of, you know, several millions of dollars. And they're just going to buy toys and, right. more toys and go to McDonald's. And so to, to avoid all, all of that, mm-hmm. you want to make sure that you have... Uh, something in place mm-hmm. to mitigate that from happening. Now, are there there different tax implications for rolling your assets into a trust and having that trust be your beneficiary as opposed to directly to a named person? So that's going to depend as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so most commonly the, the proceeds from a life insurance policy the benefits of the death benefits of that is typically tax-free okay and that's just you know the 
government looking at you know the tax code and saying, well, if someone had to die to receive the money, then they probably shouldn't have to pay taxes on it. Um, Good to know. Yeah. <laughs> Aside from that, um, typically with, with investment accounts, um, so let's say, for example, you know, whoever the original owner of that account was, and let's say they invested uh, a half a million dollars, mm-hmm. like their original investment. And upon death, maybe over a, you know, a period of 20, 30 years, maybe now the investment has grown to be uh, $2 million or one and a half, whatever the number may be. Okay. But if it's you know $2 million at that point, the beneficiary of that account actually receives what's called a step-up in basis. And so all of the gain from, you know, the, the difference between the two million and the half million, so that extra one and a half million dollars, the original owner would have had to pay capital gains tax on that mm-hmm. asset. The beneficiary of that investment account receives a step up in basis. And so now their original amount is now two million dollars. So they don't pay any tax. So if they receive that account, you know, a couple of days after the, the death of the original owner and decided to sell everything a couple of days later, mm-hmm. they don't have any taxes on it. Wow. So, you know, that's something for us to consider because when we leave, you know, one of the things that, you know, when I've, I've talked with people um, nearing the end of life and when I've had end of life conversations from a medical standpoint, um, one of the things that people by and large um, majority, the majority mentioned is about not leaving things to be a burden for those that they leave behind. Because, of course, you know, the grief in and of itself is an incredible burden to bear. Um, but then when you look at now, you know, my mother, father, whomever left me all of this, and now I have to be burdened with a financial, you know, there's a financial burden on it and having to pay taxes. Um, on this, you know, that is something to think about because that's something that a lot of us don't think about. We think about leaving something for our loved ones so that they can be comfortable or continue in a lifestyle that we would have wanted them to continue in. But we don't think about that next step of, you know, what are the financial implications of someone receiving what I'm going to leave them. Um, So, you know, very, very important is what I'm hearing from you. Um, Very important to get with someone um, who can um, help you to help their person avoid that tax liability, which, depending upon the size of your estate, could be fairly significant. Um, you know, I don't Correct. know what the tax rates are, but, you know, if I am leaving $2 million to someone, I want them to have all $2 million. Correct. You know, I don't want it going to the government. Um, and then, you know, and then they are not, not left with all of what what I had put up for them. Um, so now when we talk about um, a life insurance policy being structured properly. So when you have um, children mm-hmm. and, you know, of course, as you said, none of us knows um, the hour or the day. And if you leave a minor child behind how does that work in terms of that child being a beneficiary? Is there, do you have to indicate that someone will manage that inheritance for that child until they become majority age? Or is there something that is automatic that, that triggers that? How does that work? Sure. And so that, this goes again with, you know, partnering with an estate planning attorney and sitting down and thinking through solutions to the answer to that question in particular. Mm-hmm. Typically, it's a adult uh, that you would expect to be the guardian of the child or a trust. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, just like we were saying before, unfortunately, and really by law, you can't allow a, a minor child to be the beneficiary of life insurance contract. Really? Hmm. I did not know that. See, there we go. I've learned something today. I, I, I didn't know. There we are. So, key points here. Number one, if you own, as and I like that, if you own the leg of a stool, then you need an estate plan. The more things you have, you definitely need 
an estate plan because, of course, um, you know, you don't want your family fighting over who gets what um, because, you know, those things can be um, those fights can be devastating and, and tremendously destructive to a family um, who is already grieving. And now now there's this, um, you know, and I've seen families fall out, um, you know, money will make you make people do strange, strange things. Um, and, you know, I'm sure, you know, Mr. Ford can tell you stories uh, of, of, of strange things. Um, so definitely want to have a plan for your estate. And, and we need to start thinking about ourselves as estate holders. Um, because no matter how much or how little you have, you have something. And you have something that can be of value to the next generation in terms of helping them to build wealth. Um, so that way, you know, the next generation isn't just starting from scratch over and over and over and over again. Um, you know, and that's what we see with, uh, you know, some of these tremendously wealthy families. Um, you know, I, I am a huge fan of history. Um, and I know, you know, Mr. Ford, you and I have talked about this, about like the Vanderbilts and um, the Rockefellers and such things and how they have generational wealth. Um, and a lot of that generational wealth was built because there was an estate plan in place. Am I right? Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, you definitely now, you know, I don't have the, the millions and billions to leave, but my little my little nest egg, um, your little nest egg, you know, everybody has a little something. So you definitely want to have an estate plan. Um, and in part of having that estate plan, you have to build a team. So, you know, if you want to win, you got to have a winning team. Um, and so you want to have a financial planner um, coupled with, it sounds like, an estate attorney. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so those two two members um, of your team will help you in terms of getting all of the paperwork together, um, obtaining life insurance, um, setting up, you know, your beneficiaries if you need to set up a trust, um, all of, you know, all of the the legal aspects, all of the paperwork, um, because, of course, um, you know, it's messy when we come into this world and it is messy when we leave it. Um, and so you want to build a team there uh, to make sure that what you do leave behind gets to who you intend it to be. Um, so, cause there's one thing that I, I recently learned about that if you do not have a will, but you do have assets that there are certain situations where those assets can become property of the state. Correct. How does that work? How how is that? You know, even I I just don't even understand how that's even even possible. You know, but it is. How, yeah. how does the, how does that happen? Like, are there certain certain situations where where that gets triggered or? Sure. So let's say um, there was someone that was never married, um, only child, and essentially, you know the lineage of the family is, you know, non-traceable. Maybe that person lived a long, healthy life Mm -hmm. and they passed away all by themselves and just so happened to have never done any estate planning and they died intestate. Okay. So everything runs through probate and essentially, I mean, the the judge is going to, you know, do their due diligence and run his course and do everything through the probate process. Mm -hmm. And it ultimately could come to a, a dead end road and say, okay, Who's getting this stuff? There's nobody to name beneficiary. So now, does that happen? Do you see, or, or I guess, or is it possible for an estate to go to probate and then to go to the state when there are beneficiaries? So let's say, for example, if I just didn't have a will or any of those types, you know, those types of instructions, and I die, but I have, but I have beneficiaries. I have children and a husband and such things. Can my property, can my assets still become property of the state or, or uh-huh. does that just not happen if someone is there to speak for you? Sure. So that the, the I guess the nuts and bolts of that would come down to like the, the estate planning attorney. But at a high level, um, any investment account that has a name beneficiary and any life insurance policy that has a name beneficiary, is executed outside of probate. So gotcha. those proceeds go directly to the beneficiary. Okay. 
So so once again, having a plan, naming a person um, and updating your information as your life changes and as your financial situation changes. Um, very, very important um, in terms of how we leave this world um, and um, take care of those that we leave behind. This has been a wonderful, wonderful conversation, Mr. Ford. Thank you so, so very much. Um, before we go, any last any last parting advice um, before we end this segment for this month? Um, yeah, I would just say, you know, in the midst of everything we're dealing with in the world right now with this, this virus with COVID, um, you know, this very topic has kind of had a spotlight shed on it, mm-hmm. and especially in the, in the physician community because you guys are on the front line fighting against this virus day in and day out. And so a lot of the conversations I've had with clients, unfortunately, is just a lot of, you know, anxiety and being nervous around, you know, heaven forbid you get infected by the virus and it does not end well. Right. Making sure that your own house is in order and everything is buttoned down because if you're laying in the ICU fighting for your life, that's not the right time to be trying to get all this stuff figured out. Exactly, because you may not be um, of the state of mind where you can legally execute um, any of these decisions, um, you know, right. particularly if you, um, you know, you you all may not know this, but if you receive um, certain degrees of pain medication or certain degrees of sedatives, um, you cannot enter into any uh, legal contracts during that time. Um, so you may not be able to execute um, a will or, you know, participate in estate planning because it can be assumed that you are somewhat inf- impaired because of the drugs that, that are being used to keep you comfortable. Even if you are awake and alert and all of that stuff, um, you know, it can get a little, um, it can get a little murky um, for sure. All righty. Well, this has been a wonderful, wonderful segment, and I am looking forward to next month. I'm already looking forward to next month with Mr. Brian Ford uh, of Northwestern Mutual so we can talk more about uh, money and medicine and how we can get our financial houses in order as we navigate through uh, the healthcare system. Mr. Ford, thank you so, so much for your time this month, this week, today, and I look forward to next time. Likewise. This was a pleasure. Awesome. Awesome. All righty. So we are going to go to our commercial break and we will be back. This is Dr. Carissa Hines. You are on with Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. Life happens, and when it does, the law firm of Althea DeBar Johnson, PC, and Tamara Wood is the law firm people turn to for planning and managing their legal affairs and protecting their current and future assets. The firm specializes in wealth protection through legal services that include estate planning, probate administration, and guardianship. This law firm promises to be truthful and honest, provide personalized attention, and they are focused on results that best suit your needs. For a consultation, contact them today at 404-584-5555 or visit them on the web at adjpclaw.com. The law firm of Althea DeBar Johnson, PC, and Tamara Wood, helping you plan for today and for the future so you can get on with the business of living. This is Alvin. And this is Edmund. On the Old Fashioned Health Show. Tune in each Friday from 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. And listen to us live on iHeartRadio or the Real 1100 app. Where we talk about healthy information, products, and or services. And get some old school music in on the Real 1100. And we are back. This is Dr. Carissa Hines, and you are listening to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. So normally in this part of the program, I would kind of expand a little bit further on um, our topic, um, which this week was money in medicine. But 
Uh, last week, something very, very significant happened um, here in Atlanta. Uh, we lost two um, of the titans of the civil rights movement. Uh, these two gentlemen are major players uh, in the civil rights uh, movement in the 60s um, and beloved fixtures here in the community of Atlanta. And so if you had not heard, um, we lost um, John Lewis and Reverend C.T. Vivian. And so I want to take just a few minutes to pay tribute um, and tell you a little bit about these gentlemen um, and and just give them um, a little bit of the respect, the immense respect um, that they deserve. So we will talk about um, Mr. Lewis. And, you know, the song that was playing initially um, was called uh, Sunday Bloody Sunday. And that's a song by U2, um, a um, rock band. And the song was written um, in response to a historical event that happened um, in Ireland in 1972, where uh, peaceful protesters were met with uh, just unimaginable violence um, at the hands of the local police. Uh, And so, you know, that was in 1962 here in America in the the 50s and 60s. um, You know, we experienced the same struggles as African-Americans were uh, trying to instill their civil rights and particularly their voting rights. Um, And so, you know, I chose that song um, to play at the beginning of this segment because of the intersectionality of um, what happens with oppressed peoples in the world. Um, And that, you know, that song, Bloody Sunday, Bloody Sunday, could very well have been talking about um, the Bloody Sunday that was experienced by um, Representative Lewis uh, in um, on the Edmund uh, Pettus Bridge. So a little bit about um, Mr. Lewis. Mr. John Lewis was born in in February 1940 outside of Troy, Alabama, um, and in his late teenage years um, became an activist. Um, At 18, uh, he became a part of the efforts of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. uh, for civil rights. Uh, He was one of the original 13 Freedom Riders And if you don't know about the Freedom Riders, they would caravan um, into the Deep South uh, to register uh, African-Americans to vote uh, and met with incredible resistance, violence um, that is just unimaginable. Um, And and I can't imagine being a teenager um, and being um, so bold as to to decide to stand um, stand up for such an important thing and to stand up to um, such power and, and and that is just just I, I'm just humbled at, at the thought of that. Uh, Mr. Lewis also served as the chairman of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, the SNCC, from 1963 to 1966. Uh, in 1965, he led uh, the march from Selma to Montgomery across the Edmund Pettus Bridge on Bloody Sunday, uh, where he was met with violent resistance at the hands of the police there. Um, he was beaten and suffered a skull fracture. And he even speaks about, um, you know, losing consciousness and not, and being taken to um, a church to regroup and recover and not remembering how he got there. Um, but the image of this interaction uh, increased the awareness of the brutality that uh, these marchers, these brave men and women uh, suffered and eventually led um, to the passage of uh, the Voting Rights Act. Um, by President Johnson. Um, Over the course of his activism, Mr. Lewis was arrested numerous times um, and in later years would speak about causing good trouble, um, even though, you know, a lot of us think about having an arrest record as just, you know, one of the worst things that you could possibly have. But um, but he he termed that good trouble. And and I I like that a lot. Um, He was the youngest speaker at the March on Washington in 1963 and is a graduate of Fisk University in Nashville, Tennessee. 
of his life in politics, in 1977, he was appointed by then-President uh, Jimmy Carter as an associate director of Action, which was a national volunteer agency. Uh, in 1981, was elected to the Atlanta City Council, uh, and in 1986 was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives, representing Georgia's 5th Congressional District, where I happen to live. So Mr. Lewis was, was my representative, very proud about that, um, where he served in the U.S. House of Representatives until his death um, this past Friday. Outside of politics, um, Mr. Lewis is an award was an award-winning author, uh, and his graphic novel uh, March actually it's a series I believe there are three of them um, is a New York Times bestseller. Uh, Mr. Lewis in his lifetime re received uh, more than 50 honorary degrees and in 2011 was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom uh, by the first African-American president, uh, President Barack, Barack Obama. Now, in terms of Mr. Lewis's uh, advocacy in health care, um, so I had to do a little bit of digging here, but I uh, found it. Um, of course, he supported the Affordable Care Act legislation, um, which allowed us to have um, health care for all um, and introduced um, several bills um, bringing federal grants uh, to the Georgia 5th um, and expanding Medicare services for people who have end-stage uh, renal disease um, and, of course, was a proud supporter of uh, the, the Planned Parenthood uh, initiatives here uh, in Atlanta. Uh, Mr. Vivian or excuse me, Reverend Vivian, um, was uh, born in 1924 in Boonville, Missouri, um, attended uh, the American Baptist Theological Seminary in Nashville, was also an original uh, freedom writer and a national director of affiliates of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Uh, he founded an educational program called Vision, uh, which provided college scholarships. That program was adopted by the Department of Education of the United States and um, is, is more commonly known now as Upward Bound, and I know a lot of us as teenagers um, benefited from the programs of Upward Bound and didn't even know the origins. You know, I just learned this in doing my, my research uh, here. Um, Reverend Vivian in 2013 was also awarded uh, the Presidential Medal of Freedom by President Obama. So just two titans of civil rights um, who... Um, I am personally thankful for, even though I, I don't know them, these men um, personally, um, but just grateful for their activism and service. And so, you know, to their families, um, my condolences uh, and, and prayers for them. And, you know, again, just gratitude that they existed and that they decided to take the stances um, that they did so that we could all live in a better world. I know that, you know, I would not probably be where I am without their efforts. And so before we finish, I want to give um, a vitamin C this week when we talk about the impact of one. Um, so, of course, you know, Representative Lewis and Reverend uh, Vivian um, were individuals who uh, joined collectively uh, to a greater cause. But we all as individuals have an immense power where we can do um, small things, we can do great things, we can contribute and make the world a better place. Um, so, you know, to the world, you may be just one person, but to one person, you may be the world. Um, and so, you know, I'm going to close today with a quote from uh, the late Maya Angelou. As you grow older, you will discover that you have two hands, one for helping yourself, the other for helping others. And so I hope that as we reflect on the lives of Representative Lewis and Reverend Viv uh, Vivian, we will remember and, and, and go forward in our lives being the hand for helping others as well. I have had a wonderful, wonderful hour. I always look forward to Thursdays now. This is like my favorite day of the week because I get to spend it with you all. Um, I hope that you all have enjoyed it too and hope that you will tune in. Next week, we will be talking about Superwoman. I'm not going to tell you all any more about that because that's just going to be an awesome show. Um, but we will be here next Thursday at 11 a.m. on Real 1100 a.m. Uh, I Again, I am... 
uh, Dr. Carissa Hines, and you are listening to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. This is Dr. Carissa. Thanks for joining me this week on Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. Join me next week for more comfortable yet in-depth conversation. Have a great week. Thank you.